Hey, thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by Cap Logistics, and I am your host, Doug Draper. I'm with the Denver Transportation Club and Acme Distribution, and we have an amazing topic and an amazing guest today. Uh, I can't wait to introduce you to him. Um, we are going to be talking a little bit about reshoring America with reshoring initiative. Uh, and Harry Moser is with us today. Harry, I, I got to talk about you before you jump in here, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, first of all, uh, Harry's a leader. He spent 25 years at the helm of manufacturing machinery solutions. He's an advisor. He's been chairman emeritus of the same organization. Uh, he's a scholar. Harry, I didn't realize you get degrees from MIT and University of Chicago, so I need to make sure I sit up straight and uh, represent my, my myself where. Um, award winner, you have too many awards for me to mention, uh, list them off, but Quality Magazine's Professional of the Year in 2012, and you are an inductee in um, the Industry Week's Manufacturing Hall of Fame. Didn't know that existed, but I'm glad that you're part of it. That's pretty impressive. You've been uh, quoted and, and everything on the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, USA Today, and you were involved with some uh, task force with a former President Obama. Um, and most importantly, with this call today, Harry, you are a founder with the Reshoring Initiative. So, Harry, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Doug, it's a great day. I'm very happy to be here with you. That's awesome. So probably too long of an intro, but mostly well-deserved. So um, first and foremost, tell us about Reshoring Initiative. Uh, what's it all about? Um, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> Great. Um, so the Reshoring Initiative is a nonprofit, which I founded in 2010. And our, our, our mission is to balance the goods trade deficit. So the, uh, the U.S. in 2021 had a trade deficit of $1.1 trillion. That means we imported $1.1 trillion more than we exported. And balancing that, which on average, every, every country has to have balance on average, balancing that would increase U.S. manufacturing by 40, 40%, would add five or six million manufacturing jobs. So that's that's my goal, bring, bring those jobs back to the U.S., which would be a huge difference for the country. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that is uh, is amazing. So, you know, one of the things I say is, hey, the, the things I buy and the things I use, the clothes that I'm wearing right now, um, most likely was not made here in America. So why is it important to bring jobs bring those jobs back and achieve the balanced trade. A trillion dollars is a lot to balance, but why should uh, America care and talk about the importance of that? Okay, so first, the, the shirt I'm wearing with our logo on it is made in America. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I have to walk the talk and uh, I get them from something called uh, Authentically American and uh, very good quality made in America product. So why is it important? Uh, first, I think there's to create confidence in the country. Um, I don't know if you follow Ray Dalio, but he talks about two two major countries competing, and when that happens, the one that used to be the leader tends to decline. The new one sort of takes over, like like the U.S. did relative to to England, you know, whatever, 70 years ago, and and right now it's U.S. and China, and, and I, there's a feeling of malaise, you know, of American decline that we're not the the superpower, the arsenal of democracy, the, the the industrial juggernaut that we used to be. So just by by showing that that's increasingly not true, that, that we've made the turn, that we're coming back, I think is, is very good for confidence in America. 
the uh, in addition, when you bring back manufacturing jobs, you strengthen the economy. the The multiplier effect for manufacturing is anywhere from two to seven, depending on what you're manufacturing. Whereas the the, the multiplier effect for retail is maybe 1.4. So so by bringing back manufacturing jobs, you bring back all kinds of other jobs. You deal with a lot of the major national problems like income equality, read all time about income equality. And a lot, some of that's, we've got too many billionaires maybe, but it's also that we've lost millions and millions of solid middle-class manufacturing jobs that would pull those curves back together. Uh, we've got uh, federal and state budget deficits going on forever and can't, can't can't do that forever. And by putting these people back to work, by having their companies make more profits, the tax tax revenue will be higher, the uh, expenditures will be lower, things will be better. The environment, it's cleaner to make things here than it is to make it there and ship them here. Innovation, some people say, well, forget manufacturing, let's do innovation. Well, it turns out you can't do innovation as well if you don't also in the same, more or less the same location do manufacturing, because if they're together, the engineers, the design engineers and the manufacturing engineers can work on the product and the process to, to optimize. For the defense industrial base, um, increasingly the, the Pentagon says, we no longer can obtain a lot of the components and materials we need for the defense of our country, in our country, even from our allies. So for all these reasons, it makes sense to bring it back. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever things touch, um an individual, then they kind of take notice. And I really like the fact that you had made mention of the environment. That's something that's been a um, theme that's resonated through a lot of our uptime logistics shows. How do you reduce the carbon footprint? What can I do as an individual to impact this massive situation we're dealing with? So yeah, that, I think that's a very valid point to, uh, to, to, to bring up. So let me ask this, um, favorable trends, right? We talked a little bit about um, things that we may have missed and why we're in this position, but there's got to be some trends out there that you're seeing um, that are uh, tipping the scales a little bit. Talk about those. Well, first, first, the, the trend, the result is that when we started this in 2010, in that year, the total number of jobs announced coming back was about 6,000 in the year. Mm -hmm. Last year, 2021, in the year, 260,000. And this year, 2022, looks like 340, 350,000. So we're uh, 40, 50 times as many jobs per year being announced coming back. So the overall trend is is very favorable. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's much more than any, even I predicted uh, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, what, uh, any other trends? I know we had talked a little bit about a few other ones out there. Is there any other things that you're seeing that are helping to tip well, the things that have helped it happen, that help make that trend, mm -hmm. that have given it the momentum, over the over the years from say 2010 to 2020, um, companies started to recognize that that even though they were saving 30, 40 percent by buying offshore, that the, the routine costs of duty and freight and carrying costs of inventory and travel, the risk of stocking out, all this stuff, made it clear that some of the stuff it was more competitive to produce and source here. And mm -hmm. now the, la the last two years, disruption has become the, the norm, you might say. The, uh, you know, the, the thousand year storm now hits every five years kind of thing. And the, uh, so, so companies have seen the 
uh, Fukushima tsunami, the, the Thai floods, the COVID coming out of China, uh, our own LA dock strike, the Suez Canal blockage, the uh, Russia uh, Ukraine war, war, and each one of these cases, all kinds of supply chains cr crunch to a halt. And for weeks or months, you don't get the product that you need. And and now ho hovering over all that is the is the risk of some kind of decoupling with China you know, because of either they're just tired of us because of our position on various issues or that there's actually some kind of violence over Taiwan. And if that happens and, and all shipments stop from Taiwan and China for months or years, some companies are going to go out of business. And so we, we say they should at least look at that, do the math, and, and we can show them that 20, 30 percent of what they're importing from China, they'll be more profitable producing here in the U.S. So at least bring back the stuff that you'll be more profitable by bringing it back. Mm -hmm. So that if, if, the, if things go to hell, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, your danger, your damage will be less. Yeah. Well, you check when you were going through uh, the, the list of things that are impacting external forces, right? I think um, I joke with my wife that at, uh, at cocktail parties, nobody cared about supply chain and logistics. They wanted to talk to the doctor and the lawyer. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to know what's going on with supply chain and logistics. But you nailed it with so many external forces um, that a manufacturer has minimal, if any, control. And the carrying costs are huge. Right, you purchase this thing and it's sitting on the water or stuck in a warehouse or stuck in a port. That's hard dollars. So I'm glad that you made mention. And uh, people may not understand, you know, those indirect uh, indirect uh, implications. So um, all right. So we talked about it. One thing that you mentioned was some data, and I think it's really important because uh, our audience may say, okay, well, what does the reshoring initiative do? You talked about, um, you know, doing some analysis and things like nature. So talk specifically about what the reshoring initiative can do. If I'm a customer, I'm like, or a company, and I'm making this widget, it's going to cost me X in China and Y in in, uh, in Colorado, where I am. Talk about the tools out there that uh, you can provide those groups. Yeah, uh, we have uh, ways to enable the process, you know, to to make more reshoring happen. And so the 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 one that we started with was TCO, total cost of ownership. So mm -hmm. so we provide a software on our website that companies can use and get them to go away from just looking at the price, the, the FOB price or the XWorks price, and okay. instead calculate the total cost. So they, using this software, they, they'd, they'd input a lot of data and then the, the algorithms would do the calculations, but it would start with the, that FOB price and add in the duty and the freight and the carrying cost of inventory, the travel costs, the risk of stocking out because of long deliveries, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it adds in actually 20, 25 of these these different costs, and when, and I, I took the um, 180 cases of China versus the U.S., where the user had put in all the data, and based on FOB price, the U.S. would win 8% of the time, but mm -hmm. based on total cost, 32% of the time, and if there happened to be a, a Section 301 Trump tariff of 15%, then the U.S. wins 46% of the time. So just by doing the math correctly and going away from just looking at price, but looking at all the relevant costs and risks, all of a sudden 20, 30% of what is being imported becomes clearly producible or sourceable here mm -hmm. at a higher profitability. Yeah. 
So it's not necessarily advocating bring 100% over. Let's look at your product mix and the manufacturing that you're doing and find out. I mean, I don't know if this is the right term, maybe some low-hanging fruit that would be easy to pull out that would really have some serious impact on, on the bottom line for the company and the customers. What we say is if someone comes to me and says, where should we start? I say, make a list of the products where you have pain, where you have too much inventory or you're stocking out, where the quality isn't what it should be and you're having warranty costs, where you have uh, too much travel or midnight telephone calls to work on issues or one after the other. And, and, and start with those because there'll be champions inside your company that'll support the process. Whereas if you, if you start with the stuff where you're hugely profitable and everything's wonderful, <laughs> then you're not going to get the support to, to, to do the analysis. Yeah. I know um, there may be some capital expense involved with bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., right? Hey, the factory takes care of everything. They buy the raw materials. They have the equipment to, to manufacture the items. Harry, I love it. I, I want to do my part. I get it. But it's going to cost me X dollars to try to get up and running here. Do you factor that into the equation with capital expense needed? Yeah, in, in the in the actual TCL calculation, no. Perhaps I should, uh, but it calculates sort of a steady state difference in the cost. But we, I agree entirely that the company should look at the the one time cost of making that transition. So, for example, if you if you've got a mold over there and it's being used in China, and you may not be able to get the mold back, you may have to buy another mold here. Mm -hmm. And you, and you, there'll be some kind of startup cost of of m making the product here, either in your own own factory or outsourced. There's always startup, you know, the first article inspection, getting getting things working right, quality, et cetera. So there's there's definitely always costs involved, and and those should definitely be included in the calculation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like everybody, um, at least in in the industry that you and I uh, are in, is that. Um, what's plan B, right? I got problems in China, Taiwan. Um, I need a plan B because I need to continue to sell my product. So really, reshoring in some instances is not just, hey, here's an 18-month fix, but we're ultimately going to go back to China. Um, really, the success stories out there is take a, wrong, a longer runway view of this. And yeah, there may be some capital expenses, um, but if you're here to stay and really want to impact what we're trying to accomplish, don't look 15 feet in front of you, look 50 ahead of you. It's kind of what you're saying, is that right? Yeah, and that's what the Chinese do. They, they, they've had great success. You know, they just pulled their people into the middle class with our money, and, uh, and because they've taken that 50-year, 100-year view and developed the industries, developed the training, done, done investment, you know, stolen intellectual property, you know, done things that are wrong, but they've, they've made it happen. And our companies need to take that that long view also, both in terms of wh where should I make it, uh, but also in terms of um, the long-term view on automation, for example. The U U.S. companies definitely underinvest in automation and CNC machine tools and robots and all this kind of thing relative to most other countries. And, and if we do that, we'll, 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 our productivity will not go up, will not be competitive. So we need to invest in automation and lean, you know, to make help uh, improve the process flow and such within the companies, in skills, apprenticeship programs, recruiting of really smart kids to come in and learn learn the trade or profession within their company. Uh, so companies need to to take that longer look. And, 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 and when they look long, they'll see that China has probably peaked, that they 
Um, their population is falling. Their, their workforce is dropping at something like 3.4 million per year because of the one child policy. Mm -hmm. they're, they, they're going to age out. People say they will age out before they get rich. And, and that's a problem for them. They have a, a drought problem ongoing for, you know, for, for centuries, drought problem. There's a lot of reasons why China isn't as great a place as it, as it was 20 years ago and why the U.S. makes an awful lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I like the, the, uh, the need to look at that runway. And you mentioned that's what China did, is, is not look at what's happening right in front of my face, but uh, what's the long-term play. Um, speaking of which, I have two questions I want to follow up, and I'm trying to figure out which one to ask first. So I'm just going to go into the CHIPS Act. You and I spoke about that before, and it's in the news now, and it's made, made, uh, uh, made headlines. Talk about that. What's your thought? Maybe for our audience, uh, reset it and explain what it is and talk about the benefits you see related to reshoring initiative. Okay, so, so the, uh, we endorsed the CHIPS Act. Uh, the U.S. had fallen, had substantially lost its share of chip production. I think we used to be 50, 45, 50%, and we we're down to 13%, something like that. Unacceptable condition for the leading country, the leading technology country in, in the world. And so uh, we had to do something, a lot of money, $52 billion, I think, for just for, to subsidize the, the building of the chip foundries, and then hundreds of billions more for R&D and training and all kinds of things. But I believe it had to be done. But mm -hmm. my, my concern is that, uh, let's say, let's go back to basics. The, the reason we have the huge trade deficit is because U.S. manufacturing cost is 40% higher than China, is 10, 15% higher than much of Europe and Japan and South Korea. And, 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 and as a result, or let's say the, the cause of that is lack of skilled workforce, we're not as productive as we should be, and the dollar is just too high, 20, 30, 40% too high. And so if you don't correct those problems, if you don't get the skilled force like Germany or get the dollar down so, so we're competitive, then we're going to have all these chip foundries that we've subsidized pouring out trillions of chips, and, and every other country is doing the same thing. They're building chip foundries, and, and our chips are going to be the most expensive. It's generally agreed ours are going to be you know, 15, 20, 30 percent more expensive than the Chinese chip. And so we'll, we'll be making lots of chips, but we don't assemble much in the way of electronic product. We buy our infotainment systems, our servers, our electronic medical devices from China and other countries. And so we're going to be dependent on China to buy our chips, to produce the electronics, to ship back to us, which isn't going to work if there's you know, serious disagreement between us and China. They're going to say, hell with you, we'll, buy, we'll use our own chips. And mm -hmm. so, I, so I, if, if, if they've made the commitment for the chip foundries, I believe we need to work to uh, level the playing field get the rest of U.S. manufacturing price cost and price competitive so there'll be a market here for the chips. Otherwise, I predict that some of those chip foundries are going to go bankrupt in 10 years. Mm. Yeah, that's a great uh, great angle on it. I can totally understand your point. And related to the, you know, you and I could go down a wormhole or have two or three more shows just about the political nature of what's going on and, and the trade imbalance in China. So, but that's a great point. I. You know, I had not thought of that. Everybody's like, hey, we're, we're getting these, these foundries and these manufacturing plants. Everything is solved, but you bring up a, a, a very valid point. Um, that is in the future. So I want to flip to the other, the other question that I had is kind of like five years out, like future trends, if, if our audience 
kind of perspective. So my question is, where do these, where do you see reshoring initiatives specifically, and maybe how Americans starting to embrace the concept of reshoring? Where where do we are? Where are we five years out from now? <clears throat> okay, in terms of embracing, I've been delighted with the last year or two because uh, what happened, especially with COVID, and now with Russia, and now with and China, mm-hmm. every everybody seems to see. That, that being so dependent on offshore and especially on non-allied countries is is just stupid. It, it's just it's not not consistent with the, the long-term strength of the, or survival of the country. So everybody seems to understand that now. Whether they'll take the right actions is the question. But they, at least we've got we've got basic understanding. Now, as as an example, um, Wall Street has come around. Where where 20, 30 years ago, Wall Street was um, pushing, telling companies. Cut back to your core competence. Let's see, what is that? That's uh, finance, of course, um, marketing, uh, maybe sales, uh, you know, something engineering. Keep those here, but that manufacturing stuff, that's a commodity. Send that off to China, India, Mexico, somewhere, have it done, and, and, you, and, and, and you'll reduce your assets employed, return on assets goes up, life's wonderful. And now the companies are finding that doesn't work. And so the uh, companies are starting to come around, and Wall Street is actually coming around. Where it used to be pushing the companies offshore, we now have at least eight Wall Street finance companies, either either research analytical companies or or like big banks like Bank of America, that have come to us, used our data, put it in their monthly reports. Some of them even buy our data to to recalculate and distribute to their clients. So Wall Street is telling companies, reshoring is real, and you should be, uh, and the company should be identifying the actions they can take, the investments they can make to maximize their benefit from reshoring. So we're, we're, we're delighted to have Wall Street on board. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about embracing, uh, having, like you said, Wall Street uh, on board is huge. So there's probably some other barriers, right, that still need to be overcome to really flip, uh, you know, put this thing into fifth gear and punch the gas down uh, with uh, paradigm shift. So Wall Street's on board, starting to embrace it more. What else is out there that needs to be removed or addressed to really take this thing to the next level? Well, in, in priority order, and I've, I've alluded to some of these, number one is skilled workforce. We need to have a skilled workforce like Germany's. In Germany, something like 60%, 60% of the high school kids at the age of 16 or 17 go into an apprenticeship and they become incredibly well-skilled. They're really well-trained by a master and they're they're as good as anybody in the world at what they do. And we tend to have people that just sort of fall into the industry somehow uh, right. too often. And and so uh, we need to have a skilled workforce like, like Germany's, more engineers. They train more engineers as a, in, in their universities as a percentage than we do. So more engineers. Uh, so that, that whole workforce side. And then we need to get the dollar down. It's generally agreed the dollar's 30 or 40% overvalued, especially now it's had a big run up the last six months. And so to get the dollar down to a point where uh, our costs become competitive once again, and then the government won't have to subsidize companies to move work here because the companies will say, of course I'm coming there because it's the most profitable place for me to be in the biggest market in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the workforce development aspect of it. I have two kids in college and the concept of a four-year traditional college, especially with COVID, I'm seeing it right in front of my face. And I think you're spot on with 
with redeveloping um, you know that workforce into into engineers and skilled workers. So I am one hundred percent in agreement with that. Um, so all right, let's end this thing up. You're here. You're talking about not only the the, the reshoring of America, but reshoring initiatives. So talk about two or three things that your company specifically can help clients out there like, hey, what's Harry got to offer? I, I need more information. So here's your chance to talk a little bit about your business. <laughs> so I got to do that. Harry, I got to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's how you pay for being here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I mentioned the TCO estimator, which is the tool to help companies do the analysis and figure out where to put the factory, where, where to buy or source the products. I helped a company called Mori Corp outside of Illinois, outside of Chicago, use that to um, convince its customer to buy from them instead of China. And that was the key to winning a $60 million order. So it's, it's a tool both for sourcing smarter and for selling smarter when you're competing with offshore. That's TCO. The import substitution program, a, a company can identify a product, you know, a widget, it's something that they're really good at making. We can train them to use TCO and identify the biggest importers of those products. And then, the, and then our client goes to those importers and convinces the client to buy from them instead of continuing to import by showing that importer that the importer will be more profitable sourcing here. Mm -hmm. We have a sim somewhat similar program called Supply Chain Gaps that identifies the biggest gaps, the areas where we import a lot and don't make anything here. And then states can use that and, and we'll identify the biggest foreign suppliers and the states goes to get them to put a factory in the state to overcome that supply chain gap. So we've got a series of programs like this to work with companies, with buyers, with sellers, and with government to, to solve the problem. That's great. So how does the, uh, our audience, how do they contact you? Website, phone numbers, social media, talk about that real quick. Sure, www.reshornow.org harry.moser at reshornow.org, that's M-O-S-E-R, uh, and 847-867-1144. Uh, mm. Yeah, throwing your phone number out there, man, that's that's uh, that's impressive. So I'm glad that you found three ways for our audience to get in touch with you. Harry, I can't thank you enough for, for uh, talking with us today. If Uptime Logistics had a Hall of Fame, you'd be the founding member because your depth of knowledge <laughs> And ease in which you explain what the reshoring initiative is doing is, is phenomenal. So I want to thank you for that. You made it easy for me, Doug. It was an excellent <laughs> show. Oh, thanks. Thanks. So uh, we've been talking to Harry Moser with the uh, reshoring initiative. He's given us some great knowledge and intel, and please reach out to his organization. Um, I'd also like to thank the uh, Uptime Logistics Nation out there. Uh, thanks for listening to us today. Of course, it's powered by Cap Logistics, and you can find more information about the show in the description below. Don't forget to like and subscribe uh, to the uh, Uptime channel, and please visit caplogistics.com. And until we meet again, uh, enjoy, be safe. Thanks again, Harry. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye.